hated every word that you wrote. Your style is lovely and atrocious. Let me find all the reasons it was moving, it was horrible. Fuck your book. This week's episode of Fuck Your Book is brought to you by Chronic Illness. Ever thought feeling like shit wasn't quite fun enough? Now with extra strength, long-lasting chronic illness, you can feel like shit today, tomorrow, and every day. Ask your doctor if chronic illness is right for you. May cause blindness, death, sexual impotency, and persistent bitchiness. Do not operate heavy emotional machinery while on chronic illness. That was close enough. Close enough. Yeah, that was close enough. <laughs> <laughs> just pronouncing things, I just get so caught up in it, you know, my you hands. Caught up. Like, did your hands my hands are sweaty. <laughs> knees weak. Arms or heavy spaghetti on your sweater already. Yes, welcome to fuck your book. Mom's That's, spaghetti. I'm here with Michael Burton. Hi, and I'm here with Cynthia Tolson. Yes, and we are all in this together. Just because We're you all just in this no, you just want no. That's copyrighted. Oh, well, it, I think you can do like 15 it's seconds. 15 seconds. Yeah, yeah, so that was we're fine. We're good. We're, We're good. good. We're golden. Uh, that was the same deal with. Well, I, I mean, I think you. I think we could do any amount of us singing it because it's so bad. Yeah, but it won't like recognize. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it won't recognize the pitches or anything. The pictures that we're doing. Yeah. So welcome back to fuck your book. It's been a while. It's been a bit. It's been (laughs) again. We've made attempts. Yeah. But thanks for sticking with us. For those of you that have, or to all the new people. Bonjour. Hey, look, there's little kitty paws under the door. Oh I see you. Oh, God. I see you. Well, after the incident last episode. Yeah, the... Yeah, the ah. avalanche of cats. Yeah, and it, like, it, it's very hard to, in the moment, describe what's happening. It was not good for podcasting. No. Would have made a great vine. Ew, did but those still days do are that? No, it's gone. Does it not exist? It doesn't ex- Come I, on. I never had a vine. Well, it's dead. Why am I looking at this etude? That's... Oh. You, uh, well, th- you see, that's another bad podcast moment. You have to explain what <laughs> I you're doing. I don't. Uh, whatever. Um, yeah. How are we you? We just lost half of our viewership. We did not. No, we have not. People love when I talk oh, about etudes. Also viewership. No one's viewing this. I hope except not. Except for Brad. Brad? Yeah, the guy who waits in the window. Oh, God. He's always masturbating. Oh, God. Just like me. Okay, um, so today's podcast. Well, now it's time to talk about our patented, patent, patented point hashtag comma point system. Comma so point system. this podcast, Michael and I talk about books, 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 books we like, books we like, books the other person may not like. Who knows? We bring a book. Bring a book. Did you bring your book physically? Yeah, it's outside. Oh, I did too. Yeah, mine's outside too, yeah. though. Isn't yours right there? No. Okay. No, my, I, I, I mean, I have my book with me. I just didn't. Yeah, need we it. don't need it. Because I took notes. Yeah. Gotta take them notes. notes so, yes. we each bring a book, pitch it to the other person. The other person decides if they like it or not. Indeed. If they like it, the other person gets a comma. Fuck I. your book. Indeed. If they don't like it, no comma. Fuck your book. Exactly. Fuck you. So, we are currently standing at. Michael with four commas, and Cynthia with five commas. I'd like to point out that I'm... Five golden commas! I'm four commas and a pending fifth comma. Future, you don't know. I ain't gonna read that. You might. Let's be real. You got lots of of reading to do. But you might. And one day, 
Maybe you'll maybe maybe something will happen and you'll you'll change your mind. I won't change my mind about anything. Maybe I'll come to you like I'll be like sixty and I'll be like, Michael, I finally read that terrible fantasy book you wanted. It was excellent. It was a very I really loved the world building. (laughs) It was a complex and beautiful story. Yeah, and then I die. Not but you got your comma. I give you the comma on the deathbed. On my deathbed. Yes. All right. Well, true, true story. I just wanted to bring that up. Um, so the next thing that we have to talk about, uh, if you've been to our podcast before, you know that we always implore you to <sighs> rate, review, subscribe, and like, share. So I just today um, am doing stuff. a sort of catch up situation on Instagram. Because we have an Instagram account, which I forgot about completely. We have an account. Yeah, um, so I'm doing a little description of each episode and posting a picture of the books we talked about, and I'll be posting more on Instagram. There will be naked pictures. There will not. Free the nipple. There will not. Um, again. I didn't say of whom. Just random nipples. I'll free them. They are Free taste. them on your own time. This is my own time. <laughs> so I'll be posting there. Michael posts on Facebook. I do. Most of the time. Yeah, I got the Facebook down pat. Yeah. Um, but we're you're paying for this now. Yeah. So if, I mean, even just, like, I saw we had a couple more five-star reviews um, on sick. iTunes. But so it's $15 a month. Yeah. Huh. Um, but Sounds my friend tough. Vin just started listening and gave us a five-star review. Hi, Hi Vin. Vin. You're who's, great. Who's Vin? My friend from like high school, I've known forever. Okay. Yeah. Is Vin, what what pronoun do they prefer? Him. Okay, so I'm gonna call him it. Yes. It. Thank you, it. That's rude. That makes no sense. Yeah, it's really weird. He carries it, around this little red balloon and like lures people into. <laughs> no, not down here. Yeah, that's Vin, my friend. Stop talking about floating. Um. So please leave a, a five star review on. Really, iTunes is the best Once place. Once again, but... if you leave a three-star review, I know that you're specifically talking to me, and we'll become friends. Because I'm a five-star kind of girl. And I like I like honesty, and three stars about as much as we deserve. No! Um, unless you're directly related to one of us, and then you should be leaving a five-star. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. On it, honestly. Oh, honestly. Honestly. We came from you, or are blood-related to you. I don't have many of those, so... Well, I, I think mean, we got the one we're gonna get. Not, you don't have many of those that you're on speaking terms with. This is true. So, <laughs> um, next, after after we talk about uh, y- your need to like, share, subscribe, rate, review... Again, I'm just gonna put this out there. Michael will write a story for yeah. people who do this. I did it. You he can, did. You can go on our Facebook. It was... Words. It was a, a thousand words. So I promise a thousand word story. I don't know. Anyone. I don't know what I can contribute to this. Um, She'll record a piece of music for you. No. Yes, you will. I'll just like be nice to someone. You can, you can put your phone down and record you playing yeah, music. Yeah, I'll play a scale for you. No, why? You're you're practicing. You're literally practicing songs, <laughs> and you're like, ah, I won't record that one for you. No. Yeah. What? She'll record a piece of music that she is currently practicing and send it through the interwebs Sure, to sure, you. okay, fine. It's doable. Okay, it's doable. It's very easy, in Things fact. Things are doable, but, you know, <laughs> I didn't walk out my front door today until I let you in, so... That's depressing, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, as promised, we're here to talk about books, and I'm going to go first. Um, okay. 
well, you, the person who does the intro, oh, the sponsor, okay. does the second book. That's the way it works. Is that how it's worked? That's how it works oh, generally. I didn't know. Yeah, well, I, I also did it. All right. Like Who's this. a rule boy now? No, I, I mean, I set it up on my phone. It's on Come my phone. Come on, rule boy, I'm going to the rules. Okay, let's go. Um, this was supposed to be in printed form, but it's on my phone for some reason. <laughs> um, all right. So our theme. Our theme for this week is uh, I I I wrote it as bad guy, good guys. Oh, that's not what I did at all. It's yeah, it's dislikable oh. protagonists. Yeah. Yeah, bad guy, good guys. I thought you meant bad guys and good guys. No, bad guy, good guys. Bad guy, good guys. Bad guy, good guys. Oh, that's hard. Okay. Bad guy, good guys. Okay. Bad guy, good guys. Bad guy, good guys. Bad guy, good guys. Bad guy, good guys. Yeah, no, it's it's so it's and uh, like protagonists who you have difficulty rooting for, or you know, anti heroes, but not like the shitty kind of anti heroes where it's like I'm a good guy in a bad world. So I do morally questionable things, but it's always for the right cause. No, it's like main characters who are legitimately fucked up. Yeah. Um, and who you have to find a way to like, and what how a novel does that. So for mine, I chose a recent novel by a gentleman named Paul Lafarge. Two two words, and the title of the novel is The Night Ocean. So this is a bit of a complicated. So you finished I did. this book I that it. you were reading yesterday at I work. Fi- I finished it uh, last night. Nice. And I started the other book that I'm reading, um, which Changeling. is Changeling. Yes, very. The good. other Changeling by Joy Williams. It's, yeah. It's fucking amazing. Awesome. Um, but let's talk about Paul Lafarge's let's novel. Let's do it. Um, it's complicated because it doesn't have a protagonist in the the normal sense. It has a narrator, but the narrator uh, is really by no means the protagonist. The narrator is almost, you know, a, a Nick to Gatsby. The Gatsby being her husband. But he's not the protagonist either. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple characters in this novel that you could call the protagonists. H.P. Lovecraft, the early 20th century horror author... R.H. Barrow, his literary executor and uh, expert in Mesoamerican pre-Columbian history. Um, Elsie Spinks, who is a, a fictional character, and Charlie Willett, who is the husband. So is the executor R. H. Barrow. Re- a real person He's as a well? real person. Okay. He's uh, a very, he was a amazingly interesting person, and I'll talk a little bit about him going forward, but two real characters, Lovecraft, Barrow, two uh, fictional characters, Sphinx and Willet. And it's written in, like, a third person? It's written first person. First person. By, uh... The narrator. By, uh, Willet's wife. Ah. And it starts with, uh, it starts about six months after Willet commits suicide, supposedly. Um, and it is a novel... Like, it's a weird metatextual novel that's told in a lot of different voices, uh, complicated. I don't want to give too much away because it's, like, an amazingly naughty puzzle that's worth uh, unraveling. But what really strikes me about this novel is what it does for Lovecraft. 
And uh, so for people outside of the community of sci-fi horror fantasy nerds, Lovecraft might just be a name that you've never heard of or a name that you've heard of in in reference to like people talking about Cthulhu or... Right. Or uh, people making a sort of... Uh, calling something Lovecraftian. Right, an adjective. Uh, is that the right tent? Is that the right grammar word? Yeah. Ad- is that an adjective? That's an adjective. All right, cool. Or an adverb, depending on what you're... Cool. Talking about. I know my English. Um, but uh, Lovecraftian writing would be a weird way to make it into an adverb, because I don't know how he would Don't have adverbs read. have to end in L-Y? Uh, whatever, just continue. It's just... Okay. <laughs> it's what it modifies. Okay. Um, so, uh, the Michael and I are no longer friends because I don't know what an adverb, what an adverb is. is. Ly is usually the way you would do it. Okay. But it doesn't have Just to be wh- by any means. That's not the point. Teach me later. That's not the point. The point is, uh, Lovecraft for many people is just a name that they may have seen on something they've read, or they may have just heard, or nothing. But to people in fantasy and horror and science fiction, Lovecraft is a hero, is a villain, is a whole fucking panoply of different things, depending on your political stance. But just briefly, Lovecraft was a xenophobic, racist, homophobic, misogynistic monster who created a form of literature that is nihilistic and horrifying. A favorite kind of people. He's a monster, but what he made is important and, you know, earth-shattering. and It speaks to the deepest fears of humanity and is very important. But he's a monster. So much so that the World Fantasy Award, which was a bust of him up until recently, is no longer a bust of him. Because people protested. When did that change? 2011, something ah. like that. Recent. Um, and he's a, f- like, and it's been over the, like, past couple of years, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, that people have really started to come to grips with his monstrosity. But, and here's where this novel is really fucking magical, Lafarge is aware of this, and Lafarge isn't trying to rehabilitate Lovecraft at all, in fact. And in fact, this is not a novel about Lovecraft. And really what it is is a novel about the the nascency of fandom, which is really interesting. And fan literature and fanfic and the way that fans interact with literature and the way that stories change and shape us. But what he does is he humanizes Lovecraft, which is a near impossible task. Mm -hmm. And he does that through a real thing that happened with R.H. Barrow, another complicated character. Barrow was 16 when he met Lovecraft. Lovecraft stayed two summers at his house uh, while he was 16 and 17. And then uh, Barrow went to Providence and once to New York to meet up with Lovecraft and stayed with him. And then Lovecraft died and left all of his stuff to Barrow. Uh, Barrow was a child, remember? Mm -hmm. And when Barrow eventually commits suicide in his late 30s, as at a professor, when he's a professor at Mexico City College, comes out that he's gay. Um, he commits suicide. Most likely... How did Lovecraft die? How old was he? Young. He was in his mid-40s. Okay. And uh, not suspicious circumstances. Ah, okay. A disease of some sort. Um, Barrow commits suicide. 
while he was actually profe- uh, the professor of William Burroughs, mm-hmm. the famous postmodern author who was studying under uh, under Barrows. Um, so th- what, what's so in- what Barlow? What's so interesting? What, uh, yeah, R. H. Barlow. What's so interesting about this character and these two characters is that Barlow, who's a gay man, was almost definitely in love with Lovecraft, who was a much older man in his, like, 40s. So this was, like, a 30-year age difference, which is gross. And if Lovecraft had sex with him, that's gross. Call me by your name. Like, way <laughs> difference. Lovecraft is also, by most... He's a homophobe, right? Yes. He also hated Jews, but was married to a Jewish woman briefly. And he knew she was Jewish. He, like, he's a complex figure. And what makes this interesting is... Like, does him having sex with a teenager make him a more likable person? And that's a question that's po- like posed throughout the novel. No one knows what happened. Barlow is dead. There's no way to ask him. There's no way to... There are no letters that can be dredged up or anything that will say any... Give us any real information on what happened those two summers, that brief amount of time, that Lovecraft was living with a 16-year-old gay child in his Florida... Home. It's pretty sketchy. Yes. But then again, there's, you know, a lot of scholarship thinks that he's asexual and there's, there's, it's complicated. But mm. what this novel does is kind of, it's like watching the same story unfold through a host of different eyes and everyone's lying and it stops mattering whether or not it's true or not. And Willett, who is the husband of the of the narrator, is uh, he's a writer who's looking into this story, and he's also a protagonist who it's really difficult to like because he has a affair with a random woman he meets and breaks up his marriage, and his wife seems like a decent woman, and it's really and he doesn't have a good reason for it, and mm-hmm. it's not because like she's a monster, it's just he's a complex human and Barlow is a complex person and Sphinx is fucking very complicated but it, there's no way to really look at any of these characters in any uh, in, a, in, in a simply good or bad lens there's no there's even the wife our narrator is complicated so this novel is doing a lot of things with an amazingly interesting uh, uh, historical basis. Uh, and it's really hard to explain beyond... If you're interested in the history of American letters, which Lovecraft is an amazingly important part of, you know, by some in some respects as important as someone like Poe, mm-hmm. uh, if you're interested in... If you're a fan of anything, if you have any sort of fandoms that you are a part of, then this is an amazing text about the nascency of fandom at all. The like beginnings of science fiction and fantasy fandom. Like the Take- fandom of Pete Davidson and Ariel Grande. <laughs> We're not talking about that. Okay, now. we'll talk about We're it not later. We're talking about that now. <laughs> just wanted to that's a, just wanted to throw it out there. Just that that'll come, but it's not, all right. not ready for it. Okay. No, but I, like he, like you like like Star Wars. You're a yes. Star Wars fan. I, I would say that I like Star Wars. Yes, but you're part of the fandom. Yes. And I am part of many fandoms and different differing levels. Right. But that 
that structure, the edifice of fandom, which you can become a part of, didn't exist before this, before the, like, there were no conventions before the 30s when the first conventions were put on by characters in this novel, like Sam Moskowitz and, like, these early science fiction fans mm-hmm. who would, like, bring, they, like, they hand-printed their own fanzines and mailed them to each other. That would be you. This is real stuff. And, like, like what, what today has kind of become a massive corporate smorgasbord for these companies to come and reeve into and, you know, find whatever fan group they can and take as much as they can from them while giving them things that they want. Like, we're, you know, drowning in sweet water, essentially. This was the beginning of that, where no one was looking at these people, and the only people giving them stuff were themselves. These these fans were intimately involved with authors. The Futurians was a group mm-hmm. in the 30s and 20s who were like some of the first science fiction fans, and they were they included Isaac Asimov, who was in many respects the father of modern hard science fiction, and so all of these these groups and. Lafarge does the best historical research I've ever read. Awesome. And that includes Mantle and it includes a host of other people. And his historical research is so perfect that when he when he goes away from it, and you can see him doing it, and he's constantly interrogating himself. And the, the narrator is constantly putting in footnotes about like this who this person is and how they're related. And you as a reader constantly want to go to your computer and be like, was this true? Mm-hmm. Because most of the time it is. But right. occasionally, you're like, did did Barlow actually teach William S. Burroughs? Like, that seems like too much of a coincidence. Right. And was, was his teacher actually the father of Ursula K. Le Guin? That would be weird. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Turns out that these things are all, all true. true. Yeah. That, like, Barlow, who was the literary executor of H.P. Lovecraft, would have met and known a little baby Le Guin. That's wild. Because he was studying under her father, who was a noted anthropologist, who was a professor at Berkeley when he was there. And then he moved to Mexico City College. That's so weird. This person who was maybe fucking You're so Lovecraft excited right so now. It's so weird. <laughs> and, like, these things are true. But then he says other things. You're like... That sounds totally reasonable. It's totally false. It's fiction. That's funny. And sometimes it's little things that'll get interrogated later in the novel, like the view from a certain hill in Providence, Rhode Island. And someone will be like, that can't be, like, I've been to that mm. hill. That's not what it looks like from the hill. And, like, Charlie. But, like, or, an, that's an insignificant But it matters of, because oh, okay. it, it questions the, like, the veracity of memory, but it also questions whether or not the, the whole story that is being told Well, I mean, it's true. a work of fiction. It is absolutely right. a work of fiction. But, like, what picking what apart parts, right. is impossible. Right. And it's and consciously good. so. Yeah. And there are things in it that are, like, cold hard fact, but does that matter? And, like, is, right. is what what does it mean? And what it, and the, the final question of the novel is, can you resurrect someone through fiction? It, it talks about possession. Can you be possessed by an, a living soul through writing, through putting them in writing? And that question is never fully uh, answered because it can't be. It's constantly questioned. So this is a novel filled with protagonists who are just straight up monsters. Yeah. Or, and, but they're all kind of heroic in their own way. And it's 
Some of them are tragic, like Lovecraft is a like deeply tragic figure. Some of them are even more tragic, like Barlow, who, you know, was complicated, but like seems like a decent person, and he did some very good things. And then Charlie Willett, who is and Elsie Sphinx, who are the fictional characters. Maybe who the fuck knows? Yeah, who? maybe they. Uh, who knows? Um, Check out a census or yeah. some shit. <laughs> Does it matter? Is the question? Yeah, they're and they have their own complexities, and I don't want to talk anymore about it because. It's a novel worth unpacking in your own personal way because it doesn't it doesn't read the same to everybody. Like to me, I'm a I'm a writer, so when I go through this, I'm like, what is he taking from reality? What is and every word he's saying and I'm also in these fandoms and I know right. these people. So like all of the references, I'm like, fuck, I know this. Like that person couldn't have been there, that person had to have been there. Like, holy shit. These, th- these connections matter to me but if you're coming into this blind of any of this kind of attachment it'll still be a great novel in a different way and if you're more into the metatextual nature of it you'll be more interested in the, like, the formal aspects of his novel which are very interesting and complicated mm. and too much to get into here but yeah this novel I put it up in the, in the past year with like Lincoln and the Bardo and Pachinko nice and probably yeah. I liked it more than I liked either of them. Oh, wow. Um, really? In, yeah. In terms of, I think it's a, because like Lincoln and the Bardo, I thought was like a really cool, awesome experiment yeah. with like hints of deep feeling, but never enough mm-hmm. for me. Where, and Pachinko was like experimental, not at all, but, but it, just it all has feeling. deep feeling. Yeah. And I think that this has both. It has Interesting. Like, uh, okay. Because like, I, and while Lincoln and the Bardo absolutely has deep feeling, and I away from the accomplishment of that novel it's awesome it's beautiful yeah um, I felt like I felt like there was definitely some like there was some hesitancy in him to like really get into Lincoln yeah like, Lincoln had to like Lincoln was always seen through like these like prismatic lenses of yes. other people going into him and I thought that that was a cop-out which yeah. it was and it like like and it was a cool thing to do formally but it's not you 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 shy away from the like depth of that so when you get like maybe out of a 100 page 150 page novel novella whatever you want to call it you get five pages of lincoln they're good five pages mm-hmm. and they really fucking punch yeah but there's not those two are definitely like my two favorite novels of the year too so yeah and pachinko I want to read is, this am- is amazing um but there's no formal aspect to it there's nothing it's that, not new it's yeah it's just really it's cool. just a really great novel <laughs> And this one is as formally interesting as Lincoln and the Bardo. It's less flashy, mm-hmm. for sure, but, like, the the way it's put together is, like, partly through, like, diary entries, partly through... It's, like, curated diary entries by the protagonist, by the narrator, with copious footnotes, which is really weird. Mm-hmm. And then it's through, like, uh, like, like play a play, sort of, or, like, mm-hmm. a, a transcript of a dialogue part of his transcript of a dialogue through that that she had and then another one that she found that her husband had through like a cell phone this came out this year last year, last year new uh it's a new paperback paperback so i mean it's formally very interesting and if that's what you're into that's what you'll take from it but that's what i'm into uh, i i found it to be also amazingly powerful in terms of its humanizing quality in looking at your own humanity and like what you your good parts, your bad parts, your monstrosity, and really takes the takes the wind out of 
the of, out of monsters, mm. but it's it's also a scary book in some ways and it talks about the Holocaust. It, it's fucking broad. Wow, so awesome! I could so not the, recommend it more. A night, ocean. The night ocean. The night ocean, which is the name of a story that Barlow and H.P. Lovecraft wrote oh, together, Jesus. which is a real story. <laughs> Too deep. Yeah, you have too no deep. Idea. So that's my that's my pitch. Awesome. And um, so, what's your pitch? So, um, I picked a book with just the worst characters ever. One of my favorite books with a whole slew of awful people. Um, and it also touches on a genre that we haven't discussed before, so we can give a little intro to a new genre, which we like doing. So I'm talking about The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock. And I was super pumped that I picked a book you've not only never read, but never heard of. I'm so excited. Because every time I'm like, hey, Michael, have you heard of this? Or like, have you been here? Of of course I have. That's always. So so here we go. (laughs) So this was published in 2011. It's his first novel. Um, His debut story collection is from 2008 and it was called Knock'em Stiff and it's from it's named after the city he grew up in in Ohio and the city also plays a role in this novel as what well. What city? It's called Knock'em Stiff. Isn't that funny? I've never been there and I lived in Ohio. Oh wow. Well. Um, so it's set in rural Ohio and West Virginia. It follows these really really bizarre characters from the start of the end of the Second World War to the 1960s. So, like I said, it's a, an example of Southern Gothic, and the common themes are, like, these deeply flawed, disturbing characters who may or may not dabble in hoodoo, folk magic. I didn't know what that was. I was like, voodoo? Hoodoo. <laughs> I hate when you just look at me and nod silently. Um, ambivalent gender roles, decayed or derelict settings, grotesque situations and other sinister events relating to or stemming from poverty, alienation, crime, or violence. So in its relation to its parent genre, which is American Gothic, which, have we talked about American Gothic? I mean, what do you mean? I, I, Southern Gothic isn't related to American Gothic any more than it is related to just Gothic literature. Have we talked about Gothic literature? No, nah, I don't think so. Okay, so... It follows a lot of the same themes, but there are some twists. Uh, the style employs macabre, ironic events to examine the values of the American South. So unlike its parent genre, it uses these gothic tools not just for suspense, but to explore sort of social issues and reveals the cultural character of the American South, which is what he does here. With I think that's unfair to say that gothic literature does it for suspense rather than does it for... To- uh, examine societal issues. I think they both do. I think old gothic literature is like a lens to society. Cool. But neither here nor there. Okay. Here and there. Um, so these gothic elements take place in a sort of magical realist context rather than a strictly fantastical one. Um, there are these rural communities that have been warped and replaced the plantations of an earlier age, which is similar to the events of a gothic castle. Um, It gives us the decay of the plantation in the post-war South. Um, Southern Gothic primarily focuses on the South's history of slavery, racism, fear of the outside world, violence, fixation with the grotesque, and a tension between realistic and supernatural elements. And there are these villains who try to disguise themselves as victims or innocents. Um, 
So it's sort of trying to expose the myth of this pristine antebellum South. I have a question, though. Yes. Um, Ohio is in the South, even kind of. It no, but it's right. And it didn't so it's set b- between uh, there are parts that take place in Ohio and there are parts that take place in Virginia. West Virginia or Virginia? Virginia. Okay. Because they're like far away from each other. Virginia. West Virginia. Different place. <laughs> also not really the South. Well, I think it's more of the like... What am I thinking? I'm, I'm not trying to... Yeah. I'm, farming people. Yeah. Because the, the South is very different and like it can't really be Southern Gothic if it's not from like, Alabama, Georgia... Southern Virginia, Louisiana. So it's Florida. farmland gothic. Midwestern gothic. Midwestern gothic. That's but Midwest. it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it fits into the Southern gothic category, though. I believe you. I just. Just characteristic wise. Yeah. So. It's particularly interesting that it's set so, so far north. Yeah. I'll, I'll get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this, like, narrative of this idyllic past in the, in the South. And sort of these terrible things that are hidden by denial, suppression, both racial and social and familial. So this novel takes all of these themes and is like this intense portrait of America and a vision of violence and redemption. Life is really bleak for these characters, but at the same time, they're just like the worst. So there's a returned World War II vet who is like... Let's say just like traumatized, as most vets are. Is that a bad thing to say? Yes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so he settles down in this rural Ohio, which is hard to say. Rural Ohio. Rural juror. Rural juror. Rural juror. In this rural Ohio town with the woman of his dreams. And after she get, becomes ill, he turns into this crazy wilderness preacher and starts building crosses and altars nonstop, just everywhere in his house, in the woods behind his house, and decides that to perform a sacrifice to try to get his wife back, he just needs to build all these things and just douse them in animal blood. That's his thing. Um, Their son, who's obviously scarred by all of this blood happening, is really the only character I found myself clinging to for some hope of redemption. Uh, another fun guy is the traveling pastor who claims that faith alone cured his fear of spiders and now shocks his congregations by covering his body with them or eating them to prove his message. That's how I get interaction. Cool. <laughs> he also has this funny little sidekick man who is a guy that opted to drink poison to test his faith, um, which earned him a pair of shriveled legs and a bad attitude. And then there's a couple that spends their vacations driving around looking for, quote-unquote, models. They're not looking for models. Anyway. Are they looking for people to kill? Yes. (laughs) Um, So, aside from all of this grotesquerie, Pollock's prose is really beautiful. Uh, What stands out is the ease with which this violence is given uh, without the sort of antics that are just like shock value hit you in the face. So no matter how they attempt to find release from their own lives through travel, murder, or prayer, they can't really slip free of the pull of poverty, depravity, and desperation. So all of these characters, although they're grotesque and twisted and absurd, 
are still capable of arousing sympathy amid all this revulsion. But it's even, like, darker than that. Because he's sort of... Pollock is sort of vigilant against anything good happening. Or, like, whenever any flicker of light appears, he just, like, goodbye. Um, So you sort of find yourself saturated with violence and caring less what happens to these people because they're the problem. Um, And at most, these people feel the slightest trace of conflict for what happens. And, like I said, the son, who is the only, like, good character... Um, he gives us just, like, the faintest little glimmer of hope and a possibility of redemption, despite everything being to the contrary. Um, and Pollock's prose is, like I said, just really well done amid all this disgusting, these disgusting people and situations, and he knows how to sort of dunk you into all this terribleness and pull you out right at the second when you're, like, I can't do this anymore. Um, So he sort of, like... Although these people are, like, backwoodsy and they seem sort of dumb, he gives them this, like, native intelligence that they have where they're just... They know how to navigate what they're doing even though they can't get out of their situation, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, And also something that's really important to me is that they all have, like, this fatalistic humor, which is what I love in most books. Uh, And it's really almost their soul-redeeming feature. So one quote I really like from this book is, um, it's hard to live a good life. It seems like the devil don't ever let up. I don't like tricks. tricks. (laughs) Anyway, that's the book that I wanted to talk about. All right. The devil all the time. Well... Good pitch, good pitch. Uh, so before we get to the Kalmas, um, let's talk about what we've been doing. We are both wearing the same shirts we wore to work yesterday. That is true. Congrats to us both. High five. What have you been doing? Um, I've been performing a lot. I've sort of gotten myself networked a little bit better in the areas around here. So I've been performing with orchestras. Um, if anybody wants to hire me or anybody runs an orchestra, let me know. In the Massachusetts, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, Connecticut, Hampshire. Vermont, New Hampshire areas. And, uh, I'm writing a new novel. And it's dope. Dope. It's a, it's my, it's, it's not a genre novel. It's just a novel about. A novel cannot have a genre. I mean, I don't like the genre of I don't literature. like genres. I don't like genres. No, I mean, I had to... It's something. Horror, not really. Relationships. It's a romance. It's a romance. It's a romance novel. But it's a Michael romance. Yeah. It's a romance novel. Cool. Um, And, yes, and we're also both planning our weddings. We are. Which is stressful. Crazy. And uh, so those are happening at some point. Yeah. Look Stay out tuned. for the wedding episodes. Oh my god. Yes. Um, so I think it's uh I I give mine first, right? Yes. So um uh, let's start for Charlie's sake and tell you I love Southern Gothic. Yeah. Uh have you read Faulkner? No. The 
progenitor of something. Yeah. Now. Like one of my favorite authors. Um, but what struck me, two things struck me from your pitch, uh, were the, were the discussion of hoodoo and... Uh, the discussion, I literally just said the word yeah, hoodoo. But uh, the, the, the idea that, that, like, does he use the word hoodoo in the book? I don't believe so. Okay. It's just sort of the... Um, well, I mean, so that, so yeah, hoodoo, if, calling it hoodoo is racist. That's from Wikipedia. Yeah. Hoodoo is racist. Uh, super racist. I'm sorry. But, but not your fault. So, uh... No, I don't think he... I also don't think he used that. So I'll scratch that, that off. Um, but... It's from me being <laughs> the worst. So, so Wikipedia. Yeah, hoodoo... This is an interest of mine. Hoodoo is a, a different... It, it's, you know, linguistically similar to voodoo, and it's a, it's a specific... Uh, specific set. It's like of folk magic, kind, right? But it's okay. like particularly African-inspired folk okay. magic. Um, but the the one thing that you that uh, so you're not getting the comma. No, uh, it's not. It's because I don't think I would read the book mm. honestly. Because while I'm, I like writing things that are dark, and I like you, reading. Yeah, things, you don't really like reading things. I like reading dark. things that are dark. There, like, there has to be an underlying care and sweetness and like hopefulness for me to enjoy it that's why i'm not a i mean i love lovecraft because it's like so short and you could be like mm. ah everything is meaningless and atoms and nihilism but like when it's when it's writ large like the like the tragic grotesquerie of mm, like like post-industrial white america is not the novel i'm interested in, or even the story i'm interested in reading and like that's weird because i like faulkner and faulkner's yeah. kind of that but with faulkner what what draws me to Faulkner is uh, how all of his characters are responding to slavery. And slavery in Southern Gothic, slavery is like the most important character right. of Southern Gothic, and that's why when you you have to go real far south for it to really work for me, mm-hmm. because they're like once you get to like New Orleans or like Alabama or Georgia. Like, slavery was in the fucking DNA of every person. And it also works better in earlier. Yeah, I think this was described as Southern Gothic just because of the themes that it uses. And Um, if you don't have creeping wisteria vines for me, I just can't. can't (laughs) Um, And so it's not that that I don't think the novel's good. I'm sure it is. It's that uh, I legitimately would never read it. Fair. Just too fucking much for me. Yeah. Uh, and I... Meanwhile, I'm like, murder? Yeah. It's the same thing with true crime for me. Like, I'm... The reason... I like complex protagonists. And I think that that's why I like this novel so much is because, like, they're not good or bad. They're just... People. Humans. Yeah. But there's, like... There's not... There, there's no joy taken in their, like, fucked upness. Mm-hmm. It's more, like, tragic and beautiful in a humanistic way. And it, it's all, like like girded with an undercurrent of love for these these people even monsters like Lovecraft yeah so that's where that's that's where this novel really draws me and that one while I may give you the comma one day because I might be in a dark mood and read it and I would give you the comma if hoping for it, it buddy but uh, <laughs> for right now even like especially working in what I'm doing right now towards my my novel is like it's, there's a lot of darkness and a lot of fucked up, but like I, yeah. I have to keep it with like an undercurrent of these people are, like all humans are like basically good, mm-hmm. and the fucked up is kind of piled on top of that, and sometimes enough to obscure it completely. But yeah. like you know, no baby 
it, like babies are immoral, but no child at least is like, I want to kill people now, unless there's some kind of psychological issue, and if you're a psychodynamic psychiatrist, you believe that that has to do with trauma. So, trauma. trauma! It's like drama, but fun. It's so fun, guys. All right, so. Okay, um, I appreciate your honesty. Um, yeah, your book gets the comma. I told you yesterday I wanted to read it. So. It sounds really great. Um, I like me some funky historical fiction. Oh, um, have you read Matthew Pearl's stuff? No. He wrote about Dante and Poe. It's like yeah. mediocre, yeah. but I, I the research it. he does is really great. Yeah. And like everything is on point. Good research does so much for Yeah, novel, absolutely. But it doesn't take you that final step. No. That's the thing. There's another one I read. I think it's Christopher Moore. It's like a blue. It's about like painters. Christopher Moore does comic, comic novels. Yeah, yeah. He does some great ones. But it is historical. Yeah. It's did. a historical fiction and it's about... Yeah. Like, it has, like, Monet Yeah, and... no, I, I know it. Uh, yeah. I have, a, have you ever read Lamb? Lamb? Lamb. It's his uh, no. It's his novel about Jesus, and it's fucking No, hilarious. but I totally I I, will. I think I have it. It's about, it's, it's Lamb, the gospel according to Biff, Jesus' childhood friend. And it's really <laughs> funny. That sounds amazing. It's really, I love that. Like, it was one of my favorite books growing up. But, yes, this novel's great, and... It sounds amazing. The historical research is on point, is, like like prose is really beautiful without ever getting in the way because it's like so in voice it's complicated yeah but um i want to read more of what he did he wrote another novel called like uh the artist of the disappeared how long has he been around this isn't his first novel fifth Mm. fourth or fifth he's in his like 40s he's a professor he went to yale i believe ew l yal l yal yalla That's how you pronounce it. Yella. 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 All right. Means go quicker in Arabic. Yella, yella. Cool. Did not know that. So, um, so wrap yeah, up time. We're at five to five, we're buddy. Five to five, stay alive. Um, so, couple wrapping up things. If you enjoyed this episode, I don't know why you would have, but if you did. I know why you would have, because we're fun and awesome. And just the best. No, but if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe. Tell your friends. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. And if you want, just like send us unmarked bills. <laughs> if, if, or if, like blank checks. If everyone who listened to this contributed $5, then we would be able to pay the $15 a month. For real, though. Uh, on Spotify. I work at a bookstore. Amherst Books. 8 Main Street, Amherst, Massachusetts. 01002. Um, support your local... Support us. Support me. Yeah. Support you. Support us all. Just enjoy giving me money because Enjoy that we sit down and deal with each yes. other. And you. And you. So, microphone. Uh, <laughs> my microphone friend. So, uh, yeah. And uh, so... Fuck yourself. Go fuck I don't yourself. know. Wait, no. But, uh, so our next episode... Which will be special. Coming, which will be coming sooner than you think. You're like you think that it's gonna come in like a four month weeks and we'll, because that's we'll, what we do. But it won't. It'll be so much sooner. We're gonna be on this shit, like something Donkey they say Kong about rice, shit. like white on rice. Yes. Did you not remember that, or was that part of I the joke? I did not remember. You didn't that. remember like white on rice. No. What does that mean? What's the color of rice? Oh, okay. <laughs> Cool. Um, yeah, so go fuck yourselves. Go fuck we'll yourself. be back soon. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Go read these books. Yeah, we'll go read on, some books. We'll, we'll put them somewhere. Go read so some books. Enjoy books. Buy them from local bookstores. Go read some books. And go fuck yourself. Go, go read fuck. some books. Go fuck yourself.